0: Now, get 0% APR or up to $1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562 314 4603 for details.
1: On this episode of the Heat Check, the NBA Draft Lottery has been completed. I'm going to give my reactions to that. Let's just go real quick, like a very short one word before we get into it. Heartbroken is where I am, personally. Uh, We get into how my hopes and dreams were pretty much shattered by digital ping pong balls that I don't even know are rigged or not, as well as the new drama surrounding DeAndre Ayton. We break down the all-rookie teams that just came out as well, but of course... We must get into both games have been played, Eastern Conference Finals, Western Conference Finals, folks. So let's talk about them as we inch toward my favorite time of the year, NBA Finals time. So go ahead, drop that motherfucker. beat. So my Super Bowl was Tuesday. Me as a Portland Trailblazer fan. The NBA lottery. It's been a long time since I've paid attention that close. And quickly, just as another side road, is it just me or would we rather see the ping pong balls come out? Because I know I would. Like, there's just something about, like, an Oscar style and the winner of the fifth pick goes to the Orlando Met. Like, I don't like that. There's just something very sus about that. And I've looked into it. It seems like they've got a whole team of accountants and lawyers and media members ensuring that this thing is legit. But at the end of the day... I need to see the ping pong balls myself. And I need to feel the weight of them in my hands to know that there's not one that's heavier than the other. Transparency, accountability, where is it, folks? Where is it? Anyway, so my team, Portland, we were the sixth worst worst team this year. And boy, did we try hard for worse. Like, we sat everyone. We couldn't even play Josh Hart, we couldn't play Eric Bledsoe. Like the amount of it, fake injuries that we made up for these guys to not play. Like at one point, what's that kid's name? Uh, Kel Kelgen Blevins. He couldn't even play Blevins, the guy that I thought was a fake name. We had to sit him because it was too- we were winning games we weren't supposed to be winning. It literally was like four-time, 10-day all-star Drew, what's his name? Drew Eubanks. Drew Eubanks, and like, of course, Anthony Simons wasn't playing. Of course, Dame wasn't playing. Of course, Nurk wasn't playing. But I'm talking about like guys I've never heard before had to be benched for us to get to a place where we could maybe get in the top four and maybe hopefully this is a bridge year for us and we can get back to some level of not prominence, but like whatever middle, middle of the road and it's, you know, like we're bad right now. And then of course the Pelicans pick didn't convey to us. It ended up going to Charlotte. And then of course the LA pick that we could have maybe made a backdoor for that went to the Pelicans didn't go to us either. So One pick, we had a 39% chance of getting in the top four. Almost 40% chance. Almost half. Almost a pick to get in the top four. And I had all the excitement of a little kid on Christmas. Tuesday came. And when they don't do the ping-pong thing that goes by fast because they did it pregame of the Miami Heat game one series, and I'm like, yo, that took seven minutes. Like, what was that? So that took all the air out of my balloon as well. I wanted Paolo, as everyone knows, like very, very badly, I want Paolo. I've had visions of him and Dame. I've seen him up close. He's like Bigfoot. He's so big, so strong, so athletic, so his hop's so high. And to my disheartenment, did we get the first pick? No. Did we get the second pick? No. Third pick? This is where it starts, like, getting interesting. No. Fourth pick? Ah, could we just get four? Maybe we just trade up one? No. We had the seventh pick. Seven? And you might say, Trista, Steph Curry went seven. Like, it's not, I don't know that we're getting that. I don't know that we're getting Steph Curry, baby. So, all that resting of guys, all that f- all of that shame for a pick that might not even help Dame one bit. So, let's recap. I love that Brock needs to take notes on where I cuss because we have to Cut these things into segments. Amazing! I, I literally watch him write them down. A f- curry at 5:20, he has to do it again every time I do it. <laughs> All right, so let's recap where everyone finished and who had the best luck, who had the worst luck. Number one, Orlando Magic. They get the number one pick for the first time in or for the first time in like four years. I mean, they just keep getting the first pick. OKC gets two. The odds of them getting two were, like, ridiculously low. I think that they should have gotten, like, the eighth pick. Something like that was their highest likelihood. Houston Rockets get the third pick. Sacramento gets the fourth pick. Detroit, five. Pacers, six. Blazers, seven. Pelicans, eight. Spurs, nine. Wizards, ten. Knicks, 11. Thunder again, 12 Charlotte Hornets 13, which should have been our pick, by the way. If it was By the way, that was supposed to be ours in the 14. I think they might have two. Never mind. I think they got the 15 from Pelican's so carry on. And the Cleveland Cavaliers at 14. <laughs> I almost got mad there. Alright, so to me, the low-key biggest winner's gotta be one. OKC. Okay, they're gonna get somebody that's gonna change the franchise again after they got. After they got, I <laughs> tried to fix it. After they got f- over last year when they ended up taking Josh Giddey at 6, which ended up being a very good pick. But I think they thought they would be 1, 2, or 3. I think they thought they might get Evan Mobley, which could have helped them tremendously. Then you get the Pelicans. Uh, they end up getting a good pick. They buy getting the Lakers pick in the AD trade, which I think was going to go to them. Outside of the top four. Something like that. Sacramento, they get incredible luck, even though we know that they're just going to mess it up. We know that. Like, they had the fifth worst record. They get the number four pick. Even though they had only a 30% chance of getting the top four. We had a 40% chance. They had a 30% chance. Teams that got screwed, of course me. Of course, Blazers, number one. Pretty much the only one that that I can make note of. Uh no, but truthfully Detroit also they had the number they had the first best odds for a top four spot and they get five. So that's screwed. Wizards get the tenth spot. You see Wes Unsell looking just furious. He's just so mad. Stoic, but like God damn it, I just don't even know. Agitated. It would be it would be kind of the way to describe it. Um, So, yeah, I would say that that's kind of like where the cookie crumbles. You've got Portland, Detroit, and Washington getting screwed. Best best pickups, best lottery luck, OKC, Sacramento, and Pelicans. I did a quick little early impression mock, which will speed through, because I've done a little mocking up to my pick. One through seven mocking. Early impressions, I think Orlando takes Chet. It makes the most sense for them. I think he fits more with them than somebody like Jabari Smith does for a variety of different reasons. I think him and Franz Wagner would work very well together. I'm not necessarily sure how they would want to use Jabari versus how they want to use somebody like Chet. They need a center. They don't have very good centers. They're off on Mobamba. They're off on Jonathan Isaac. I think Chet plays more versatile role with the roster that they currently have. And I do know that he's not slated to be the number one overall consensus pick. I think Jabari is, I think Jabari is minus think 110. I think Chet is plus 140. So I, I think that's the first upset to me. Feels like an upset. I think OKC takes Jabari. Presti says he wants this team to have the ability to create a new defensive identity that pushes them to be more physical in the future to accomplish this. That, to me, sounds like if Chet is taken, they're going to go for a pesky perimeter defender to pair with Lou Dort. We know Shea just Alexander doesn't like to play a lot of defense, so they got to get another guy on the perimeter to, to do so. Going to be a toss-up, but I like Jabari if he's going to be available. Houston, I think they trade back. I don't think they take that pick. I don't think they want Paolo, even though I would. I would take Paolo in an instant. And maybe, just maybe, they'd be interested in trading with Portland for the third pick. I don't know. Like, They are a team that is constantly rebuilding. They're a team that's just like, I think random scouts have come on the record recently and say that Houston might be the worst place to be drafted by an organization if you're a new pick because they're just a dumpster fire. They have no organizational credibility. They're, again, a team that is not built very effectively, and they're a bunch of young gunners that are fun but probably aren't going to win a lot of games anytime soon. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong because they're fun, but doesn't that sound perfect for Anthony Simons? Like, to me, that sounds exactly like what Anthony Simons, who cares if you have two other Anthony Simons and Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr.? I don't care. That sounds like a fun little experiment to me. Sacramento Kings, doesn't it seem like to you for the fourth time in five years they'll take another guard? Like, let's try it again. Why not? We know that Davion may or may not have worked out. We know we took Tyrese Halliburton. We traded him for Demonis. but like, Let's do, let's do the Jaden Ivey thing. Let's do that. Who knows? Like, I know that Jaden Ivey's perfect. How do I know he's perfect for Sacramento? One, he folds up in big-time moments, and he's never going to receive big-time moments in the future because he's going to be playing for Sacramento. You're never going to need to have any of the expectations that you will need going to a place like, I don't know, Indiana. Indiana's going to want you to be the next Malcolm Brogdon, and Malcolm Brogdon, sir, you are not. God, I hope I don't regret saying that. <laughs> Detroit uh, team, very fun, very long, very rangy. Troy Weaver is is a good evaluator of talent. I think he's gonna do what the Toronto Raptors did and surprise some people with the fifth pick. Even before the ping pong balls came out, he said, "Listen, I'm happy with five. If I get five, there's there's not a three team, there's not a three person draft for me. There's a lot of value out there that I like." And you're like, that kind of scares me. Like, what do you know that I don't know? He said, I don't see it as a big three. I think that there are tremendous players all along the board. We're going to pick the best player for us, and I think that he's going to come and work out for us. I don't see a scenario where we don't get the guy we want. What kind of cojones is that? You got the fifth pick and you don't see any scenario? Who are they going to get? Maybe Shaden Sharp? Feels like that's a possibility. There's reports that... They might go after Keegan Murray, but I don't see why they would do that, other than the fact that he's quote unquote NBA ready. He doesn't feel he doesn't feel like a, a pick for Detroit. But my pick for chaos, because I don't even know what Indiana would do if Keegan Murray's not there, my pick for chaos is them taking Keegan Murray. Quickly, Indiana must move their pick if Keegan's not there. Because there's no shot in hell that I looked at the notepad again to make sure that it's okay. I think that one's okay. If Keegan's not there, there's no way they take Shaden Sharp. Like, is Shaden Sharp, like a kid who wouldn't even play one year at Kentucky, decided to do one and done without doing the one? And, like, he's going to go into the draft after just sitting on the bench for Coach Cal? Do you see him being an Indiana pacer, one of the most conservative, like low-paying franchises with a guy who— running the company, like, owning the franchise that's, like, 90? No! Shady Sharp is not an Indiana Pacer. If they were to take him, I mean, didn't it make perfect sense when they went out and got Chris Duarte? Like, high pedigree, older, immediate impact, (laughs) light-skinned. Indiana, man. They've got a type. I ain't got no type. They do, though. They do. Portland, this is where it gets interesting for me. I've, I've come to terms. I've come to Jesus with who I think we will take. I think we're going to take Benedict Matherin from Arizona. Benedict Matherin is 6'6". Benedict Matherin can score at all different levels. He can defend. He's got a pretty long wingspan. He can immediately contribute. John Hollinger has Benedict Matherin as the number five best player in the draft. I think he's a sleeper. I loved him when he played at Arizona. He pops off the screen. He's a very hard-working guy who shows up in huge. If Sacramento was smart, they would take Benedict Matherin at four. They They would trade back, and they would take him at four. But they're not smart, so we know we won't do that. Another side pick would be, if he's available, a Shaden Sharp. That feels like another Anthony Simons, long scorer, different levels. He can actually play defense, unlike Anthony. I'd be interested to see what he would look like with Dame. He's pretty big. I think he's 6'6", 6'7", as well. Uh, Or possibly Johnny Davis out of Wisconsin. Johnny Davis, he's a guy who can get it in the mid-range. He's not a he's not like a Brandon Roy, but he kind of moves like Brandon Roy, like like molasses, but like just shifty enough where he gets open. I like him. He's a high IQ player. He can defend. Like he's known for his defense. You see where I'm going with this Blazers? Get somebody who can guard more than a parked car, please. Gonna be very very interesting to see what happens at the combine and the pre-draft process. As we know, nothing is set, and like the NFL draft was, it's completely wide open. Uh, let's move forward really quickly and talk about this recent T on my man, DeAndre Jordan. No, he hasn't been relevant since 2012. Uh, let's talk about the recent T on my man, DeAndre Ayton, D-A. Right now, most people who love hoops know that there was some kind of scuffle or to-do going on in Game 7 of the Suns-Mavs series, right? Between Monty Williams and Ayton. Skip Bayless, like I said in the last episode, reported that Little Wayne crazy that he and little wayne are actually friends where they where they text like there's a world skip bayless and little wayne are friends just think about that for a second really quick anyway according to sources named little wayne who was at the game he told him that he watched courtside what happened between Monty and ayton and Aiton was like, I'm not going back in. And then Monty yelled at him, you're quitting on us. You quit on our team. And the two were screaming at each other and had to be broken up. Trouble in paradise, baby. Uh, Yikes. Yikes. Ugly outcome from an ugly game. And for sure, we know that Aiton didn't play at all in the closeout game, really, getting under 20 minutes. Full disclosure, because I'm about to give my bias here, I've had my Twitter bio for a long time. I recently took it out. DeAndre Ayton deserves to be maxed out. I am very clear. I've never done that for a player before. DeAndre Ayton deserves all the money. He is so underrated. I am an Ayton fan. I think he's top five best center in the league. I think he's being used completely out of, out of the realm of reason. And it's probably the best thing that could have ever happened to DeAndre Ayton fans because maybe you can like get him in a way that you never were going to be able to. Number 1 overall pick. He's been a phenom since he's been 15 years old. I've watched him play up close when he was 15, 16, 17 years old. And the Suns have just used him like some scrub role player. Like you're not Clint he's not Clint Capella, okay? Like Deandre Ayton can pay, play face up to the basket. He can tween tween, he can put the ball on the floor, he can shoot mid-range, he can shoot the three, he can go up up and under. Deandre Ayton has moves. He can spin He's not Embiid, so I'm not going to say he's Embiid, but he can do a lot of the things that Embiid can do. He's not as big as Embiid, dominant as Embiid, but he's got really good footwork. He's a hard worker, and when he thinks you believe in him, as we a lot, a lot as a society feel like, if we feel you have our back and you believe in us, we're going to work so much harder, right? And as soon as the Suns didn't max him out, he was basically like, I mean, you'll get me in the good times and not in the bad times, and that's fair. And, like, they've used him as a rim roller, as a guy who sets screens and gets Devin Booker and Chris Paul open. He maybe gets a random lob here or there. If he gets 30, it's because it happened by happenstance, not by design. He gets putbacks and rebounds. He's just, like, a solid, solid role player who could be, in my opinion, a star. Shaq decided he wanted to weigh in on the eight and stuff, so let's uh, let's quickly talk about that if that's still allowed.
0: And that's all he would say, uh, shed no more light on, on why DeAndre Ayton played so little yeah, uh, in game seven. If I'm a server, the kid did it the respectful way. Me, I'm different. Oh, you're not going to pay me? All right, don't worry about it. He didn't complain. He, he made one statement about it, and he played, and he played his tail off. Played like a true big man. Get the kid what he want. You got other people talking about signing four for 270. They don't deserve it. Give this kid what he wants. Uh, had a
1: great year. Just one of those nights tonight. Phoenix had a great year. Just one of those nights tonight. This is a classy organization. It's a classy team. Can't say bad things about them. They play it hard. It's just listen. Again, even great players have one of those nights. I've I've been in 20 years. I probably had 15. Where it just it just it couldn't go. Fifteen what? 15, 15 times where you know it just wasn't going. Oh, you it's, had where you know, boy, uh, boy, boy, uh, fifteen. Well, I still got four rounds. No, anyway. you you played anyway. 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 play bad boy fifteen uh, times. Hey, <laughs> you, tell hey, you talking BS. about? BS.com. Hey, hey, hey,
0: oh, no, 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 no. no. Stop don't tell
1: games. me you you have Chuck, a fifteen. Chuck. You have a fifteen bad games in Chuck. in twenty years. Yes, fifteen bad games. Oh yeah,
0: okay. That now yeah. that's <laughs> now that that.
1: Chuck, let me tell you something. I don't get why don't you believe that? Give the man what he wants. Give him what he wants. So I decided I would go through, uh, and so this is no shade to people who are currently getting paid. I just want to say that. For everyone currently getting paid, you are getting paid what you deserve. You got what you got, your agents did their job, and you accepted it. But I decided to go through the top 40 salaries and ask myself, would I rather have this player for this money or DeAndre Ayton right now? And it will surprise you. I would rather have Aiton over half of the top max guys curling playing in the NBA right now. Steph Curry, obviously no. James Harden, yes. John Wall, yes. Russell Westbrook, yes. Kevin Durant, no. LeBron, no. Giannis, no. Lillard, maybe. Age, durability, ball dominance. Kawhi Leonard, no. Paul George, maybe. Maybe. He gets hurt a lot, too. He's not always available. And his mind's not always available. Clay Thompson? Probably not. So no. Jimmy Butler? No. Tobias Harris? Hell yes. Chris Middleton? No. Anthony Davis? Yes. Rudy Gobert? Yes. Kyrie Irving? Maybe. Bradley Beal? Yes. Pascal Siakam? Yes. Ben Simmons? Absolutely yes. That's a lot of yeses for DeAndre Ayton. I mean, there's barely any noes. I paused for a long time when it came to Dame when I first thought about it. And I have to admit, as much as I love Dame, I would probably trade him for Aiton in a heartbeat because I don't trust his health. He's 32 years old. He's had an abdominal injury. That, that does not go away. That's not like a, a tweak of an ankle. And I think you could probably build a more versatile roster around DeAndre right now. And I'm not saying that they should trade Dame. I want everyone to know who's listening to the podcast, I'm not advocating for that. So do not say that. But – If you could get Aiton for Dame and four first-round picks or something, I would think about it. I would think about it. James Jones thinks that the the GM for the Suns thinks that the, the rift can be healed, he said. DeAndre had an amazing season. He's progressed every year. He's been here, so he's a big part of what we do. Doesn't sound all that enthused. His future with us is something that we will address at the proper time. The time, James, is last summer. Uh, He's a free agent, and I've said all along, he's about the same things, what we're about, which is winning. We'll address it at the proper time. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. What's the proper time? When the league comes out and says Robert Sarver must sell the team very hard to get a guy into a max contract put yourself into a luxury tax situation and then okay you're selling the team to someone they're like yo you guys are paying 170 million dollars in roster right now I have to pay what in luxury tax oh yeah no I'm I'm good I'm good so yeah I see that there's a lot of complexity here but that's not DeAndre uh, Ayton's job His job is to get paid what he deserves and to get as much money as he can. So I tell you what, Portland is salivating for him right now. We have a max spot open. We've made the time. We've cleared the space. Relinquish rights to whoever for DeAndre Ayton. I don't know how him and Dame are going to work, but I know Dame's on the tail end and DeAndre is on the up up end. So it's going to be fascinating. Game 7 in the Valley disaster is going to have long-term ramifications. And if you get Ayton in the West— You've removed some strengths from your competitor in the West as well as added. So, going to be awesome. It's going to be interesting. Either he's going to get his max money, or he's walking. That's pretty much it. There's no in between. It's not going to be a scenario where you're like, "Oh, DeAndre Ayton took a team friendly deal." That is off the table, folks. And that will change everything for the Suns if he is out. bill simmons has been thinking about for the last three weeks um since he said all those shady things about Jalen green uh the rookie team was released not a ton of surprises but here they are first team scotty barnes cade cunningham Jalen green yes sir Jalen green made the team evan mobley and franz wagner of interest to me is the fact that the top 4 picks from the 2021 draft all made the all rookie team which is it means that this draft was good it's a good draft 100% top heavy giving great value even kind of like below 3 the lowest drafted player on the team is actually Franz Wagner who was taken 8th by Orlando so you're getting you're getting Scotty Barnes, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley and and Franz Wagner Fun stuff. Obviously, you know, uh, Jalen Suggs didn't make the team. Scotty Barnes did. He was taken at five. So that's interesting stuff. Actually, no, it's one, two, three, five, and eight, not four. And then NBA All-Rookie second team, Io Desunmu, who I think we all kind of figured out, would go there. Chris Duarte for the Pacers. Josh Giddy from Oklahoma City. Bones Highland from Denver, number 26. Herb Jones. Taken at 35. Second team is fascinating to me. It includes three players who were drafted at the end of the first round or well into the second round. Giddy, of course, was drafted six overall. You could probably make the case if the OKC wasn't tanking and Giddy played a full season and they wasn't out for some random injury that wasn't real, he could have made all-rookie first team. Like He could have probably taken over Jalen Green, especially since Jalen Green, a lot of his uh, strengths – Happened at the end, the tail end of the season. Top draft picks who did not make the all-rookie team. The player probably who has the biggest gripe about not making the NBA all-rookie team is Chris Duarte. He had 13, 4, and 2. Really good early. Not so good late. But again, really hard to showcase yourself when your team is basically shutting you down on purpose because they want to get the ping-pong balls again. Indy knew very quickly Even though Indiana has been known of basically succumbing to being mediocre, they're okay with that. They've never liked being in the lottery for some reason. They're not all about the rebuild. The owner has said that on multiple occasions, but they realized uh, this train ain't stopping, so we might as well just lean into it or we're getting smushed. So that's what they had. Also, I think another gripe is probably Trey Mann. He had a great year. He finished 10th in rookie scoring. He He had a positive win share on a really bad OKC team. And then Alperin Shangoon had a really solid year as well, 10, 5, and 3. We can go through some of the other ones. Jalen Suggs did okay, 12, 8, and 6. The 8th's pretty impressive. Jonathan Kaminga, once he finally got on the court, 9, 3, and 1. He's playing in the playoffs right now ish. Davion Mitchell, 12, 2, and 4 off the bench. Zaire Williams was really good. He had some flashes in the playoffs, 8, 2, and 1. James Booknight got awful. He barely even sniffed the floor. He was take. He was taken at eleventh. Probably the biggest bust of the draft was James Booknight at eleven. He fell like a rock, and he probably should have fell even further. I don't even think James Booknight should have been a first round pick. Honestly, gross. Uh, Josh Primo, another bust. Very, very much of a reach from San Antonio. He put up six two and two. Chris Duarte, like I said, he had 13 and two. Moses Moody at fourteen. Corey Kispert at 15. So those are some other notables that weren't on any team. but the interesting thing to me was how deep this draft was. 25 players averaged six points or more per game. 11 had 10 or more points per game. The only non-european drafter the only non-european player drafted in 2021 who didn't get minutes on his team was this kid Jason Preston out of Ohio. Drafted by Orlando, of course, some random spot, and then he ends up getting traded to the Clippers, and then he suffers a season-ending injury, and we'll never hear of him again. We'll never hear this guy's name until, like, after me saying it now, you'll never hear of it again. So with the 2022 draft rapidly coming up, we're going to be spending a ton of time breaking down these prospects, what teams actually need versus what they say they want, right? Because that's all about, like, oh, are we going to take the best available? Are you going to take for fit? Are you going to take for upside? Are you going to try to limit risk? All that stuff is something that you, is there going to be character concerns because you know that's going to come out, some random Twitter post from like 2000 and, how old are these kids? So like 2010, 12, whatever it is. Like I just want to make sure they're not toddlers when I'm talking about the Twitter dates. It's like, yeah, it's like 2017. Uh, But it is great looking back and seeing what a crazy good draft 2021 was, given that I think a lot of people in advance thought it would be somewhat weak. Hopefully 2022 is better than we think as well. Can't find out until the kids get on the floor. one we denied the one we pushed off to the side the one that we decided wasn't capable of winning for a variety of different reasons despite the fact that two years ago they were in the finals and they have Jimmy Butler and they play really good defense and they're one of the best coach teams in the NBA and also by the way slight caveat they were the number one team in the east so like Miami for some reason everybody's just like I don't see it I don't see it maybe a little time off helped not sure. I think uh, it's a very, very interesting series here, right? These The Heat heard the haters loud and clear and put a straight beat down on the Boston Celtics in a way that shocked probably even the worst Miami critic. They made Boston look as bad as they've looked since they were 25 and 25 at, t- at times. Boston, of course, got out to an early lead, but once halftime came, boy, Woo! It was whoop that trick time. Even without Horford and Smart, Boston had an eight-point lead going into halftime, and I was like, "They must be feeling themselves. They must be still riding that adrenaline from Game Seven with the Bucks. Like something's going on. Maybe they'll just like beat beat Miami up. Maybe Miami it wasn't good. But what they forgot, Boston, was that Miami doesn't have Budenholzer coaching this team." <laughs> Like, halftime adjustments are coming, sir. They are coming. Eric Spolstra is in charge, and he's done this a long time. He's been to the finals a lot. Five times? I think. He did three with Braun. I think he was on the staff. Four with Braun. And then the last one. And then was he on staff with, uh, with the Dwayne Wade series? He might have been a video assistant there. Five at least, we know. Five at least. So how good was his halftime adjustment? Really, really, really good. The Celtics got just destroyed from the opening possession of the second half. They got outscored 20 to two out of the blocks. 39 to 14 in the third quarter. Boston did not score their first basket until 4:53 left over seven minutes without a, a one single bucket. And you know who was important? P.J. Tucker, even off like his bum ankle, which he's, I think he twisted in the first half, P.J. Tucker shut Tatum and Brown down. And I tell you what, as Tatum's primary defender, P.J. Tucker held Tatum 0 for 3 shooting and basically put him in jail the entire second half. And that was after coming back from what I said, nasty ankle injury. Jimmy Butler was also really, really good. Like, To the point where I can't doubt. He's just maybe he just sucks in the regular season. And maybe that's just it. Maybe he's just really good in the playoffs and that's it. He's just he's hitting shot after shot. I've called him Jiminy Brickett's like in the times. He was bad last last year though against Milwaukee. He was awful. He was really bad. Very inconsistent. He was hitting brick after brick. Anyway, I gotta give Jimmy Butler his flowers. I can't slander him last year. Right now he's really good. He's excellent. He has said, everybody was sleeping on me. Yes, we were. And now we are not. Jimmy Butler's point prop tonight is for game two, 26 and a half points. I think he'll hit that. I'm worried. Of course, you think about the regression to the mean, but he's balling right now. He's balling right now. Game two going to be tough tonight. No Derek White. No Horford. Marcus Smart's probably going to play, but he's Limping on a fractured foot. I mean, this Boston team is a hospital wing. Horford has COVID. And now Derek White just had a baby. Congratulations to Derek White. Cannot wait to see how Boston adjusts or tries to adjust to replicate the first half of Game 1 throughout the second half. Let's talk about Dallas-Golden State. First and foremost, probably one of the better coaching efforts that we've seen from Steve Kerr in years. In a cru- crucial moment, probably, you know, sit back, refresh yourself, watch the games on TV, see if anything sticks out. He had COVID for like four straight games or something. He's bothering his wife, making her forcing her to watch TV with him, watching games. She said she'll never do that again. <laughs> I bet he's awful. I bet he says so much stuff that she doesn't understand. What? Catch the pin down. Catch them get him on the backside. Yeah, he's literally like drawing things up for her. She's like, I do not care. I'm I'm doing wordle right now. Like I'm just sitting here. Like it's fine. Like that play work. Well. Let me just tell you about how uh, how it was supposed to go. She's like, I don't care. <laughs> anyway, so that time off might have refreshed him because he did some amazing things defensively on Luca, that people really were wondering how he would neutralize him. And maybe he won't moving forward. Maybe Luca will have a coming out party at some point. But that unique challenge he took on and had like, I mean, a a thick Bible-sized book full of defensive sets that he threw out on the table for game one. They were just confused. Like, yo, you've thrown literally 10 different schemes at us, and it's the first quarter. What's happening here? This is the type of elite Warriors team defensively that we saw in the first 20 games where they were stifling, they were blitzing. Everybody's picking up on help. Like guys are tagging. Like everybody knows what they're supposed to do. They're the ones doing the confusing instead of being the ones confused. The versatility really was some of the best that I've seen in a long time. They were limiting... All of the shot creation from Luka, putting him into bad spaces where he only had a limited amount of options instead of all the options that he's normally available to have. And the stat that mattered the most to me defensively was that Golden State had 15 blocks and steals to Dallas's seven. Just more defensively active. Offensively, Golden State basically blew Dallas' doors off not through one guy going nuclear, but exactly what got them there the first 20 games as well. Spreading the wealth out. Balanced. All seven Warriors who got 13 minutes or of time or more scored in double figures. None scoring more than 21. So for anyone who had Steph's prop at 26 and a half, that was a loser. Game was not close after the first quarter, even though Dallas was trying to bring it back, bring it back, claw in. They cut it to five somebody said this on twitter which is so true if you are down by 10 to the warriors you're really down by 20 (laughs) if you're tied with the warriors you're really down 10 in order for things to be actually equal truthfully where it's like zero zero you need to be up 10 you need to be up 15 because the warriors have a way of of just a flurry of shot making where you look up You take a drink, and they're up 40. Like, that's just them. So you need to figure out a way to get going early, or it's night-night sleep mask for you. Dallas was awful shooting the ball, 36% from the floor, 23% from three. And Dallas had almost twice as many three-point attempts as the Warriors, and they were open. They were open. It was gross. Like, I saw Reggie Bullock, Shoot four threes in a row open, all misses. I saw Luca shoot three threes in a row, all misses. I mean, when does that happen? When does that ever happen? Something's wrong with Luca, too. You know that. His shoulder's banged up. He's got a rake scar across his face now, which he thinks is pretty cool. He's probably drinking a beer right now, just getting his stretch on, doing a little cold tub. But I expect Jason Kidd to come back with his own counters in game two. Super excited to see how this goes. I wanna see I wanna see both series go seven, truthfully. And that should be something for us to keep in mind because if you're a Golden State Warrior fan and you think this is just how it's gonna be, I regret to inform you that Dallas has been has lost every single game one so far this playoff series by I want to say game one of the first round wasn't by a ton, but game one in the Sun Series was by a lot. They've lost multiple games by ten or more. And they've won some games, too, by ten or more. So look out, Golden State. Dallas is coming. That's all the time that we have for the uh, Heat Check podcast. We'll be back on Monday with a new episode. Follow us on social. Tell all your friends on this heat check and Trista Crick on TikTok as things heat up and we get closer to the NBA Finals. Maybe I can squeeze in a game or two, depending on who gets there. We will see you on Monday, friends. Thanks again for listening.